welcome to Career Competitor, where we welcome guests to share insights that will light the fire within you to make a career of competing. Whether that be in your career, your business, your personal life, or simply within you. As the competitor within you might just be the greatest competition in your world. While I have you here, take the time to be rating the show, especially if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts. Also, be sure to subscribe or follow the show on whatever podcasting platform you're listening to us on. Finally, be sure to head to careercompetitor.com where you can learn all about what it is I offer within my executive coaching company and what it is I could potentially do to you as an individual or on behalf of you within your team and or organization. I would love the opportunity to connect with you, so be sure to reach out to me, steve at careercompetitor.com. That's steve at careercompetitor.com. But like I said, head to the website and be sure to check out everything that I offer and to learn more about how I can be of impact to you within your world. But for now, let's welcome in our guest for this episode of Career Competitor. Okay, our career competitor today knows what it means to take the hits of life and come through it only to strengthen your why in the process. A twice all SEC honoree during his time as a football player with LSU, this highly touted NFL product saw his plans derailed due to a knee injury that despite being able to play a couple years in the league, brought his football career to a premature end. Amidst the loss of his playing career, our guest invested in his faith and prayer to find out his greatest contributions were still ahead. Today, he and his foundation aim to expose student-athletes to their true potential beyond their physical talents, as he believes that an athlete identity is greater than sports. A sentiment I can safely say we both believe. His nonprofit gives each student a balanced plan of attack for excelling in life, creating a culture where every student athlete is able to identify themselves as an individual who knows that their life success is not hinged on athletic prowess. It's my privilege to welcome to Career Competitor, Mr. Dari Beckwith. Dari, how are we doing, buddy? I'm doing well, Steve. I'm so excited. Uh, to be on your show. And that was an extraordinary introduction. So <laughs> any speaking engagement that I have or any activity we have with the kids, I'm going to bring you just to do me, the introduction. Just, that's it, man. I'll, I'll take the first three minutes and then it's all yours from there. But uh, <laughs> listen, man, I'm, I'm so glad to have you on. This has been a long time in the works. We, we got connected uh, towards the end of sort of, I think it was October, November time last year. So I'm just glad that we've kept in touch, that we've been able to make this happen. One, because not, not often do I get to do this live. And here we are face-to-face, in person. Um, and, you know, for me, it always carries a little bit more spirit, a little bit more, bit, bit more energy within the interview when we do it this way. But secondly, man, having done my research and, and having gotten to know the work that you do, I'm such an advocate for it. And, and, and so for me, I want to give you some space here to begin with just to take what I just provided there in the intro and go a little deeper for us. Tell us all about the Derry Beckwith Foundation. Well, so the Derry Beckwith Foundation targets middle high school student athletes in the area. And our whole mission is to progress the lives of student athletes one step at a time. And we do that by providing them a sense of identity outside of sports. So we have a diff- a different enrichment programs for them in career development. And also, we have free tutoring for our individual members within our organization. Um, and then on the bigger scale, we help um, local schools as well. We have something called an appreciation initiative where every month we go feed a local sports program. 
a lot of schools in East Baton Rouge and Ascension Parish area, uh, specifically public schools, uh, are not deemed as the hot spots or the place to go. Mm. And so we don't want those individuals to kind of be lost in the shuffle. We want to let them know that you are appreciated. Because mm. I think a lot of times being an athlete, um, people think that we're tough enough to get through anything. Mm-hmm. We're strong enough uh, to overcome anything. But the reality of it is we're just like anybody else. We have feelings and we have emotions. And so when we go feed these local programs, uh, we just want to let them know that you're appreciated. Um, The reason being, we know it's tough to go to school. We know it's tough uh, to perform at a high level athletically. And so why not just show our appreciation, let you know, look, we love you and we see you. Um, Other part, too, we have a financial literacy program Mm. uh, where we go uh, to another local high school program in the area. Uh, by the, uh, I have a guy by the name of uh, Spencer Smith of Edward Jones who does a phenomenal job. Um, this past month in January, well, in January, we went to uh, Brella High School and did their entire football program. And we're looking to go to Terra High School um, and do their football program this month for mm-hmm. a financial literacy course. So um, it's two parts to it. We have the individual members in the organization uh, who's exposed every month to some type of career development. Last month, they actually sat down and learned how to properly eat. I uh, did a table etiquette course. All right. And, Steve, I was totally shocked. Uh, <laughs> you may know more th- more about this than me. Right. Um, they learned how to le- eat continental style and European style. There you go. And so uh, that, was a, that was a shocker for me as well. Mm. And so for the ind- individual kids in the organization, we just want to expose them to different things outside of sports, uh, mm. to spark an interest. Um, they've uh, job shadowed a, a real estate uh, developer. They have job shadow a orthopedic surgeon. They have learned uh, proper interview skills. They have learned how to what color to wear on a job interview. Hmm. Uh, they um, they met with a marketing company, actually um, uh, Match Point Connection, just to give uh, them a different uh, sense and feel on what it's like to be in the corporate world. Because no matter what, uh, two things are true in life. Uh, They say death is truth. Mm -hmm. Everyone's going to die. And the second thing, when it comes to sports, it's going to end. And so we want to make sure that when it does end, that they have the necessary tools to be just as successful as they were in their playing days. I love that. I love it. And again, this, this, none of this is new to me, but all our listeners, you know, one, before you, before I let you go at the end of the interview today, I'm going to let you give everyone information where they can one, learn more and two, uh, have the opportunity to even support the foundation. Uh, but more importantly, I want to just bring something back here for any of my listeners that have been here from the beginning, those little 20, 30 of you that were here when I first got started with this almost five years ago now, you'll recall that this entire notion of what you're providing, Darius, as, as a foundation is what this show was born out of. You know, For me as a swim coach, I was adamant that too often athletes would graduate college and forget that all these incredible traits and characteristics that they utilize to be great athletes can still serve them, even with their athlete career now in the past. That's not a reason for us to forget who we are. In fact, if we're more conscious of it while we're going through the sport, turns out we can actually double down on those characteristics that we can actually find out like, hey, there are characteristics, there are traits within us that if we were more cognizant of utilizing them as an athlete, just think what they're going to do for us in the real world. And I hear so much of that through what your message, through the foundation's mission. It's why I was adamant to have you on, but it's also why I'm just adamant to get more now into your story. So that was the foundation. And now I want to get into Dari because for me, man, your story speaks to everything that your foundation represents. So 
what I'd love for you to, to do here is let's start with when did you realize that, you know, as I, as I alluded to within your introduction, your why? Because there's so much why that comes through this foundation. Like, talk to me about the journey of establishing that why to create this foundation in the first place. Well, Steve, it started after I got done playing. I mm. think um, I tried. I tried to give it one more shot with the CFL, and I lasted one day at the mini camp. My knee swelled up again, and I pulled my hamstring at the first day of practice. Mm. And I can remember getting back on the bus, and I said, "I'm done." And mm. when I to myself, when I said, "I'm done," it was a relief off my shoulders. And so that's when, when I got done, I still didn't figure out, I said, okay, what it is that, that, that I really want to do. Um, I already had my degree from LSU. Um, I had a, got a job in the insurance business with, with State Farm, but it wasn't enough, mm-hmm. right? Now, I know a lot of times we get occupations and jobs uh, just to, to make a living, right? And, and I, I enjoyed it, but it wasn't something I was passionate about. Until one day I got a phone call from a former teammate of mine at LSU. And to put it in perspective, this teammate of mine uh, was an all-SEC performer, mm-hmm. was an All-American, mm-hmm. um, and had an opportunity his rookie year to play in the Super Bowl. And on top of that, he got his degree from LSU. Did not get in trouble at all LSU and kept his nose clean. Mm-hmm. It was extremely likable. Um, I had a time, I spent time with him in San Diego when I was with the Charters. He was there briefly, um, doing a training camp, mm-hmm. uh, with me, but they end up cutting him and they let him go. And so, you know, a couple of years, three years passed by. So I received this phone call one day. Um, I was done playing and he was done playing, but he called me one day out of the blue and he said that he was hurt and struggling, um, and that he needed some money. Mm-hmm. And if you know him, um, you can understand how much that took for him to call me to ask him that. Sure. Because the reason I knew it was real, Steve, that's the only time he's ever asked me for something. Mm-hmm. He never asked me for something before then. He never asked me for something after that moment. Mm-hmm. And so he was saying he was back in his hometown. I think he was working for the city doing something that he just did not want to do. Mm-hmm. And he was struggling. He And one thing he mentioned, he said, man, you know, while we were playing at that time, it was so easy to have access to everyone around us. It was easy to say, I need help with this. And people came running. It mm. was easy to open, get in this door. It was easy to shake this hand because at that particular moment in time where you're playing, those around us benefited from us. Mm. And so when he was telling me this, I'm sitting there thinking, I started crying like a baby. I said, this is not right. Right. I mean, they tell you if you go to school and you perform at a high level, that you would be successful when you're done playing. They tell you if you get your degree, you would be successful um, after your playing days. And don't get me wrong, they do have guys who have excelled um, after their playing days. But the number to guys who haven't excelled mm. is extremely high. Yeah. And so when I got off the phone, my mind started racing. And Steve, at, at that particular moment in time, man, God gave me the vision on what to do. And I didn't know what I was doing, but I knew <laughs> I knew I had to start it. Right. And so it was like he told me to start in the high school sector and and get it established right now. Because what happens is if you're not exposed to that at an early age and when you get to college, it's already too late. Uh, you're brainwashed because when you get to college, I don't care what level you're playing at. I don't care if it's the SEC. I don't care what conference you're in, what division you're in. Mm-hmm. When you get to college athletics, um, the coaches and everyone surrounding you have to make sure that their families are fed and you are 
the reason their families are fed. Mm-hmm. And so anything outside of the locker room, they really don't, I don't want to say they don't care about it, but trust me, it's a small, small percentage on that they're focused on anything outside of the locker room. Sure. And so they want to make sure that, that their families are fed. And so it, it's not really um, geared to your development outside of sports. It's, mm. just, it's just not. And I get it and I understand it. Sure. At, but at the same time, they have to realize, okay, and as an athlete, you have to realize uh, when I'm done playing, they're, they're not going to be there anymore. So right. you have to take it upon yourself to develop other skill sets, like you mentioned earlier, um, to make sure that to catapult you into your life outside of sports. And so that's how it started. Um, just a simple conversation with a former teammate of mine mm-hmm. that was struggling. And I realized he shouldn't be struggling because right. they told us if we do this, we follow these rules, you'll still be successful. You can always come back to Baton Rouge and get right. a job in any, any moment, any time. And it doesn't happen like that all the time. And so when that, ha- when that, when I got that phone call, that is where my why came from and why I established uh, the organization. Hey, it's, it's an equally, equally painful and equally beautiful story all at the same time. And, it, and it's one that, as you were alluding to, sadly is all too familiar. You know, it, it, there's a lot of it. And there's, there's something that you said here that I think is so important for us to dive a little deeper into is this notion of early exposure. Like getting, getting in front of middle to high school kids and saying like, hey, listen, this is something you need to hear. And it's going to be a little off script in, in comparison to maybe what you're used to hearing when it's the recruiters that come into town, when it's the whoever that comes into town. This isn't going to be your standard you know, preaching session, so to speak, in terms of what you're used to hearing. So I'm curious, as you started to then attach yourself to this why, and you start to immerse yourself in in these high schools, or at least any high school that's willing to obviously allow you to come in and speak when you first get started, how are the kids receiving that? How what 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 was that initial maybe adaptation for you coming at it from a complete 180? What was that initial adaptation like for you being on that side of things? I'm not going to lie, Steve. I was extremely nervous <laughs> right. because I was basically going against the grain right. on what, whatever they were being told mm. or being taught athletically. Here comes this guy who is basically telling you, hey, look, this is going to end. Normally, the speakers that come in are telling them, hey, make sure you get your grades. Make sure you work hard in the weight room. Make sure you work on getting faster so you can play at the next level. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but that's not our mission and that's not our angle. So I was extremely nervous even going to the schools, extremely nervous even dealing with the individual members of the organizations, organization because I didn't know how they will react. Right. But what I learned is this. Once you uh, expose them to something different and then, number one, when they see your heart, because you have 30 seconds with a teenager yeah. and they're going to read you like a book. <laughs> right. Um, I think one thing for me that had, that has helped me is the ability to, to relate and connect with them on a level, um, that uh, somebody else may not be able to connect with them because where they're trying to go, I've been there already. Mm. So now when we go to school or I talk to the kids and we do things within the organization, they believe what I'm saying because, you know, I had all the awards in high school. Mm-hmm. I had the accolades in college. I had an opportunity to play in the NFL. It just did not go the way that I wanted to go to go. Uh, so talking to these students and really getting to know them, uh, they understand that there is life outside of ball. Mm-hmm. They understand that. They understand that ball is not life. Right. You know, the whole slogan, ball is life. Right. They understand ball is not life. Right. Until someone tells them and exposes them uh, to, some, to something different, 
then they're only going to go one course. Mm. And so here we are coming in saying, look, you can be just as successful and you will be just as successful when you're done playing. You can make even greater impact, you know, doing something else than playing sports. And uh, one statement that, that I said, I think we were talking to Madison Prep. Uh, we had a Madison Prep football program and we had an appreciation initiative and we were feeding the, pro, uh, feeding the team and I had an opportunity to speak to him before. And I, I told them that you guys realize that, that football and sports is not your purpose. I said, that's not your purpose in life. And so then they'll, come, they'll look at you a little funny then. Right. <laughs> I, what I tell them is it's temporary. I said, your purpose is ever-evolving. Your purpose is, is a lifetime. Mm. Uh, your purpose is, is serving people. I said, nobody's going to remember uh, what scholarship you had. Nobody's going to remember how highly ranked you were coming out of high school. Nobody's going to remember what you did in college. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're really not. Uh, it's it's uh, a far few between um, athletes that, that that's really remembered uh, for the athletic prowess, okay? People are going to know Michael Jordan. People are going to know LeBron James. Mm-hmm. It's a small, small percentage. Um, you have so much to offer uh, to society beside a strong arm or a jump shot. You have so much to offer. Right. And so when you, when you tell them that and you, and you let them know, that's when you have their attention. And, and one thing we do when we do go to these schools, we allow them to ask questions. And they ask me open-ended questions that's, uh, that really resonates and kind of changes my perspective on things as well. So uh, the feedback has always been great. Um, I was a little nervous starting it. I'm, I'm look, I'm, I'm still nervous now going to these schools. Sure, still nervous. Sure. Um, just it's just like a, a the first play of the game. My stomach is churning <laughs> because they don't know what I'm going to say. They they think I'm a motivational speaker, right? And I tell them I'm not a motivational speaker <laughs> because I can I can motivate you. And get you riled up and hyped up, but you can still go out in, in society and get whipped. Yep. A coach can motivate you for the game, and you can still get beat by thirty points. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not your, I'm not a motivator. So uh, our objective is to give them principles that they can apply to and and, and apply to their every, everyday life. So usually when we do these speaking engagements, uh, when we go feed them and I speak to them for ten minutes, I give them like three principles uh, where they can take and apply for the rest of their lives. Mm, I, is and the the beauty of everything you're talking about here, brothers, is all these buzzwords, impact, principles, purpose. Like this is culture that we're talking about here. You, you, are, you are trying to redefine a culture. And that every person that in, in history that has ever tried to redefine a culture, the first challenge that they have to hit is resistance. It's, it's just the way it is. That's, that, is the, that is how you create a culture. You start with how do we tackle the resistance that's going to come with this initial wave of enthusiasm of purpose whatever it is that you're taking on and and you very much alluded to so much of it there but what i'm hearing is that you're finding a way to redefine success too because you use the word impact in relation to success and up until you walk into a school chances are most of those kids will have attached the dollar sign to success so i'm curious for you at least in your experience how do you find that transition let's say of hey okay i know you see success in dollar signs i know everyone up to this point in your life has told you success is defined by dollar signs but now i'm going to come at it from impact you know for you what let's start there Darry. like what does that mean to you what does making an impact i guess mean to you it's a big question but what does that mean to you i think it's making an impact is doing something different uh doing something no one else has done mm. um uh being willing to Take criticism, being willing to, to, like I said earlier, go against the grain. Mm-hmm. I think that's really making an impact. Um, and a lot of time, impact is not about uh, quantity. 
It's more about quality. Yeah. And so that's one thing that I, I try to preach to them as well, that it's not about, it's not about uh, quantity, it's about quality. And so I always said this, and, and, and I mean this wholeheartedly, if today, if today the organization just stopped today, you know what, Steve, I'm going to be extremely satisfied. Yeah. be satisfied because I know uh, what we've done with individual members of the organization and what they've accomplished and what they've learned. And I know the the <laughs> probably over over thousands of student athletes and schools that that we spoke to and that we fed and that we did different programs and initiatives for. I know how it's impacted them. So for me, it's more so um, attaching attaching success uh, to uh, to other to something else is extremely important because I will tell them. People like like athletes in general, and I may get uh, some slander on this. No one truly loves the game. <laughs> you love the game for what it can provide. Mm. As a high school athlete, why do you want to go play big time football or big time basketball? Why? Because it's the next step to get you to the NFL or NBA or Major right. League Baseball. So, and then when you get to that point, why are you working out so hard? Why are you committing your body to it so hard? Because you're always fighting for the next contract. You want mm-hmm. the most guaranteed money so you can set yourself up and your family up for generations to come. Right. That's why you're doing it. Now, if I tell you, I said, Steve, guess what? You can do something uh, and be something and make just as, just as much money without having to go through the stress, uh, the, the injuries, mm. uh, the hurt, the anguish, um, the anxiety. You can make just as much money or impact doing something else. I'm going to have your attention. And you mentioned something earlier about, um, I think the attachment part. One thing that, that we try to reiterate when we go to the schools, even with the kids in our organization is this, uh, skill set. So, um, if you are example, like a linebacker, I play linebacker. Right. Okay. So as a linebacker, you have to have, uh, great communication skills. Mm-hmm. So you have to be able to, you have to know the defense. You have to know what everyone on that defense is doing. I have to know what the D lineman is doing, their responsibilities. I have to know what the secondary is doing. I have to know what the linebacker next to me is doing. As an inside linebacker, you have to know everything, what's going on. And mm-hmm. you have to call the plays. Mm-hmm. That takes outstanding communication skills. But a lot of times what we think as athletes is that that skill is only attached to our specific sport. And it cannot be carried anywhere else. Right. And so what I tell them, I say, if you have great communication skills as, as a linebacker, great leadership skills, as a quarterback or as a point guard on a, on a basketball team mm-hmm. or uh, you have uh, uh, confidence playing defensive back, all those skill sets can be related to your everyday life. So right. if you have great communication skills and leadership skills, you can impact the whole community, right. whole community. You can lead a company. You can lead an organization. Mm-hmm. And so when you tell them that, 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 make, that gives them confidence to do and be something outside of the locker room because – Sadly to say, even I dealt with it, my confidence was wrapped up in the helmet. My confidence was wrapped up in the jersey because it was almost like it suffocated me Mm -hmm. in a sense. Uh, it's, I call it the athletic bubble. Mm -hmm. And that's what a lot of athletes deal with. They deal with the athletic bubble and is, and they cannot get outside of that bubble. It it takes someone like our organization, someone like myself to come in and bust that bubble (laughs) and say, look, it's more out there. Right. But I, I always tell, I'm not saying do not work as, Please work extremely hard at, at what you're doing. Right. If if you play, if you're a basketball, baseball, swimmer, it doesn't matter. Work extremely hard in that, but just have the the uh, the reality 
And the mindset, I can't do this forever. Mm-hmm. Like, you cannot swim forever. Right. You know, the great Michael Phelps, he, he, he's not. <laughs> Even is, he had to stop. Is he still swimming? <laughs> no, not he's not. So at some point, you're going to have to transition. Right. And when you transition, uh, you have to have a game plan. You have to have a backup. Yeah, we're going to get to transition next. Um, and, and, but I, I want to talk about even just my journey here because for me, so much of what you're saying resonates with me, not even just as an athlete coming from something as an athlete, but coming from something as a coach. You know, for me, I always wrestled with this term of swim coach when I was a swim coach. I was like, this doesn't, I look in the mirror and I don't see a swim coach and I can never figure out why I didn't see a swim coach. And I had this realization one time that, I was never a swim coach. I was just a coach of swimmers. So my personality, my identity was was very much coach-like. And I was very comfortable being a coach in this world that was this very small world that was swimming. But once I had that realization, I had this sudden awareness like, hey, you can go be a coach anywhere. You can go impact people anywhere. You can go build relationships anywhere. You can take these same principles that you have that are based around how to swim faster and do it in any space in life. And that was a huge awakening for me. But so much of your mission with what you're doing is very much the same is is this how do you get in front of a high school kid and say yes apply yourself go go after that nfl dream there's no problem with that but don't be so wrapped up in the dream that you actually lose the fact that you have so much more to provide to this earth like there's so much more you can still do in spite of the fact that hey that nfl vision is still something that can really be of service to you and your family one day so I hear all of it, and the irony is, as I started to go through that transition uh, from a swim coach to what I'm doing now, my last year and a half as a swim coach, as I started to become more and more aware of this, were my best years. It was the best time I had as a swim coach because I was so free and so comfortable in myself and actually passing along that personality to my athletes. And I saw the same reaction from them, that freedom to be themselves to the fullest of their ability. So I took a lot of pride in that, but that's so much of what you're talking about here and which is why I'm obviously such a, an advocate for the work you do. And let's get to your transition now a little bit more. So we, we kind of, we talked about your why, but that transition, as you've, you've spoken about it in interviews and, and speeches before, you write about it on the website, you know, it was a, it was a tough time. And, and, and so I, I think it's always good for people to learn from those that have gone through it and come out the other side of it and really what it was that got you through it. So if you wouldn't mind just maybe mm-hmm. shed, shedding some light here on what that transition was for you when you maybe realized Oh shoot! Like football's done. <laughs> right. Uh, transition is not easy, and so I think sometimes we people throw that term around. Uh, oh, it, this transition, like transition, is not hard. It's just like when a loved one passes away, they, mm. they transition, but you still you still mourn, and you still miss that person. And so for, for me in my journey, my transition was extremely hard. Um, and try to give it in context, my transition was so hard, and I still had a support system. I still had my parents that was there for me, but it was still hard. and It was still difficult. Um, even though they're there for you, they're not really inside your mind and on what you're, what you're thinking, uh, Steve, at all. Mm-hmm. I think the, my, my realization came when I knew it was finally over with um, is when it was in 2011, I think they had the NFL lockout in mm-hmm. 2011. And at that particular point in time, I was a free agent because San Diego, after two years, they didn't want to sign me back. So I was a free agent. Um, they had the lockout, I think, like in May and something like that. And so at that time, I didn't know what was going on. I was still working out. So when they lifted the, when they lifted the lockout, uh, I remember like the first day, 
the Indianapolis Colts called me and they signed me to a contract. I was like, mm. wow, I said, that's pretty, that's pretty quick. Like I have no stats. I have, I got one, one tackle in my two years, you know, with San Diego. Right, right. And, you know, and I have no stats at all. And I can remember, uh, they were still working on the, uh, contract for the CBA for the NFL regarding the lockout. Mm. So I was what you were called an unrestricted, uh, free agent. So even though a team could sign me, which the Colts did, but until the CBA got finished, I couldn't practice because mm. I was an unrestricted free agent. But I still signed a contract. So for the first two days, first two days in camp, all I could do is go to the meeting rooms, go to the film room, and work out. Mm. Well, the third day came around, and they called me to the office and said they had to let me go. And that's the first time that I actually asked questions um, to, at that time, I think it was one of the player development guys. I said, did you guys really bring me in here for two days? You didn't see me practice. You didn't see me even snap on my helmet and you're evaluating me basically basically me just being a body here right and i said you knew all along if you wanted to sign this other player you didn't have to bring me in here and so i realized that at that particular point in time i was like wait a minute this is just i'm just another body i'm just another guy to to the nfl and that's when i realized like wait a minute this can be it's time for me to start looking at something else right and then like i said i tried one more time i think i ended up signing with the saints on their practice squad for the playoffs in 2012, um, they didn't sign me back. And then I gave it one more chance, uh, and that was the CFL. Mm-hmm. And that's when I, before the CFL, I started working uh, in the insurance business. Yeah. And so they called, and they signed me to a contract, and I said, I, I'll give it one more shot. And I can remember going to the mini camp, and uh, the first practice, I um, my knee swelled up after the first practice. I pulled my hamstring during that practice, and I can remember getting back on the bus, and I said, I'm done. Mm-hmm. I said it to myself. And when I said I'm done, it was just this big relief and this burden came off of me. Mm-hmm. And I remember going back to the hotel, um, got in the stairwell, closed the door, and I called my dad and told them, I said, Dad, I'm done. I said, I'm tired. Mm-hmm. I said, I'm wore out. So I can't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. Called my agent. And so obviously he was still trying to get me to go see a doctor, go get this shot. I said, I'm not getting any more shots. I'm not getting anything else. I'm done. And so when I when I verbally said out loud that I'm done, for whatever that triggered something inside of me in my mind to realize, right. look, the burden, the stress, and the anxiety, um, it was a freedom. And from that point on, I never missed football ever again. And that was in, I want to say, in either January or February of 2013. Mm-hmm. Didn't miss the didn't miss football whatsoever after that point. Before then, I was still trying to. I was even working the insurance before I would try to do the CFL. I was still right. hungry. So I, I still, I still have it in me. I mean, I'm, hey, I'm in working insurance. I was 240 pounds. It didn't even look right. I said, <laughs> why am I 240 pounds working insurance? Cause I still want to play ball. And when I got done, I was like, when I, when I did that, when I said I'm done, I verbally, that triggered something in my mind and said, yeah. look, it, it's time, it's time to move on and find something else. And then a couple of years later after that, that's when I got the phone call from my former teammate right. and started the organization. Right. It, it's, um, there's something. Something if you if you didn't catch it there, that ability to say I'm done is such a huge part of transition. It's like it's one thing to enter a transitional phase because for whatever reason it's come around and you gotta do it. But to actually willingly do it by saying, I am transitioning, I am done with this phase and I am moving into this phase, you said it yourself, freedom. Like straight away, freedom. I mean and, and I'm curious, like 
if anyone's listening to this, transition comes up on this show probably every four or five episodes in some way, shape, or form. And it, and it does show itself in very different ways. And in your way, the ability to say I'm done, how can you maybe help someone out there who's listening right now that is continuing to grind their heels into the ground and say, no, 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 there's still a chance. There's still, it could be a career, it could be a sport, it could be a relationship, it could be anything. I'm curious, like how do you, how did you get to that point? What, how did you find that almost bravery to just say, hey, I'm done? I was not changing or impacting anyone's life. Mm. By me playing, by me constantly grinding and constantly trying to play and constantly trying to chase my dream, I wasn't affecting anyone around me. Mm-hmm. I wasn't changing anybody's life. I wasn't changing anybody's life by waking up early in the morning, you know, running 20 sprints. I wasn't changing anybody's life, you know, working on my back pedal or reading my keys as a linebacker. I wasn't changing anybody's life by making sure I eat properly and getting the proper rest. Mm-hmm. Nobody's life was changing. I had people supporting me, motivating me, saying, you can do this. Keep keep at it. Keep going. But I wasn't changing anybody. So for, for anyone who's having a, a struggle like transitioning or having a hard time letting it go, pause. You know, you don't have to pause for long. Right. Just reflect for five minutes. Whatever it is that you're doing, can you honestly say that somebody's life is being impacted and somebody's life is being changed for the better? It doesn't have to be a hundred people's lives that you change or a thousand. Right. It's it's one person's life being affected. It's one mm. person's life being changed. Mm. And if it's not, then that's when you have to realize, like, wait a minute, what am I doing? Because at the end of the day, like, why why are we here? Like, why are we doing this? Mm. Like, what you're doing, you're impacting and changing people's lives. Right. And so, whatever it is that you're doing, if you're not changing somebody's life, if you're not making somebody else better. Then that's when it's that's I for me I think that's when it's easier to kind of let it go and it's easier to transition mm. um, because you're not uplifting anybody else. I wasn't uplifting anybody else. I don't think I was lifting was weights. <laughs> so, I, so I wasn't I wasn't uplifting or, or changing somebody else's life. So right. for me, I mean that's that'll be my advice to anyone. Like, is any anyone around you are their lives being impacted positively by doing but for, for uh, positively if you're doing what you're doing. If not, then it's time to make a change. Oh, amen to that. I mean, I just, for, for me, the the beauty of that that you said there was just how, again, if someone's listening to this, you, you're putting those heels in the ground, you're insisting on keeping on going, maybe the decision to actually make the transition willingly could just affect that one person, hey, who you live with. Maybe that one person who you live with sees the stress that you're going through by not giving in to something that makes sense. And, and that one person's life can be impacted by your transition. But in your case, I mean, you think about the tens upon hundreds upon even thousands of kids now who have been impacted by the decision that you made, the, the, uh, just the, the standard that you showed, uh, the, the proof in the pudding, if you will, of like, listen, if, if you're going to commit to something like this, this is how you do it. And the beauty of it is that you're proving that you don't lose yourself in that process. You actually gain an even clearer version of yourself in that process. It's what, it's what I hear from your story, man. And I, and I, I definitely want to give you your flowers for that just in terms of that ability to not only have that self-awareness, but then to step further into yourself in the process to benefit so many others. I mean, it, it really is an awesome story. Um, I'm just curious, you know, former football player, doing your thing now, working in insurance, 
I mean, you're still competitive, right? You're still a competitive guy. Extremely competitive. Extremely competitive. Extremely competitive. So, so with that being said, that's what this show is all about. And sometimes people probably listen to this and be like, hey, when are you going to get to the competitive stuff? It's like, well, if you listen to the last 30 minutes and you don't realize that that can help you compete at high levels and you, 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 know, you just you haven't figured it out yet. But the, the fact of the matter is you're a competitor. How do you define a win today? If you're putting your head down on the pillow at the end of the day, how does Darry Beckwith define a win? If I accomplish my goal for that day, mm-hmm. that's that's a win for that me. That simple. It's yeah. that simple. Yeah. If I accomplish the goal for that particular day, that's a win for me. For instance, I give you guys an insight. So mm-hmm. I have a I have a daily planner mm-hmm. where every day I write a goal down for that day and what we need to do and what we need to be accomplished. So for instance, one of the goals today was to contact a local school mm-hmm. to set a date for our next appreciation initiative. I accomplished that goal. That's a win for me. Right. And so a lot of times when you, when people say they want this extraordinary thing to happen or this big thing to happen, where for me, if you just, you know, uh, accomplish something, something small every single day, eventually when you look up, it'll, it'll be something you never thought it would be. Mm-hmm. And so I get the biggest, biggest satisfaction on when I accomplish a goal, mm-hmm. something, something small and simple every single day. Yep. A win for me is when, I planned on going to the school and then I'm actually at the school. Did we have to do fed, you know, 50 to 60 kids, spoke to them, interact. They had a great time. That's a win for me. A win for me is seeing the kids in the organization, uh, get free, get access to free tutoring. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's a win for me. A win for me is to seeing, uh, one of our former kids. I'm now, he has his own business, uh, cutting hair. That, mm-hmm. that's, that's a, that's a win for that's me. A big one. You yeah. know, a win for me is, uh, one of the guys telling me that if he didn't know what a credit score was, he would be in trouble 10 years, like 10 years from now. So mm-hmm. those small things and those uh, windows are, are win for me. Uh, we had another kid that was an alumni organization. He's now a teacher and a coach. I, I never would have thought that, right. but that's, that's a win for me. So it's just small goals that, that, that I accomplish every day. That's my win. I, I love it. And, and again, it, it comes with simplicity and uh, <laughs> I've, I'm coming to find whether it be through this interview or through many, many interviews that I've had with people that find a great why and a great purpose in life, it almost makes life easy. You know, I mean, you you laugh, but there's truth to that, right? I mean, your life is easier because clear purpose, clear why, simple, simple goals, simple measurables each and every day that always come back to that purpose and that why. Um, So from a you know, one thing we didn't really even get to, and, you know, I'm going to let this one roll a little bit longer just because we're in person and you made the effort to be here and all the kind of thing. But we didn't really get to culture. And I want to talk about it a little bit. Culture is near and dear to me. It's something that I work with companies on today. But for you, man, like, you're a, you're a national champion back in, 08, uh, back in 07. And, um, you know, you were part of Les Miles' time. And I'm sure you got rumors of what it was like in the saving years. And I'm sure you've heard stories of what it was like in Coach O's years. And so for you, you know, and again, if people don't know who those people are, then go, go check it out. <laughs> um, but, you know, for you, uh, what was it about maybe the culture that you came through that was a national championship winning culture that maybe played a part in everything that you're doing today? That culture, when, when, I, when I played LSU from 05 to 08, that was an extremely unselfish culture. Mm. And what I mean by unselfish, you had guys who – Stayed all four years. Uh, you had guys that really didn't transfer or leave. 
even if they were not getting a lot of playing time or um, not playing the position they thought they should play, they stuck it out. Uh, particularly um, a guy by the name of Glenn Dorsey, who I know LSU fans are watching this. Everyone knows who he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though Joe Burrow won the Heisman, Glenn Dorsey is still the most decorated football player in LSU history mm-hmm. for the amount of awards that he won. As a junior, Glenn Dorsey had opportunity to go to NFL. He had opportunity to be a top five pick. So as a teammate of Glenn, I saw him stare probably $30 million of guaranteed money right in the eye as a junior. Mm-hmm. Stared it in the eye, but looked back to us and said he wanted to come back his senior year to win a national championship in his home state because he knew it was going to be in New Orleans. <laughs> now, a lot of guys cannot do that. Right. I mean, he literally looked $30 million in the eye <laughs> and said he's going to come back with us right. to go practice and go through two days again. If I again. was you, I probably would have been like, take the, <laughs> take the money. Like, you're going to come back and, and do two days again and right. do, uh, we call them mat drills in the spring, which are brutal. Right. And to go eat in the cafeteria. Like, you're going to come back to do for that. that? <laughs> for that. And he did it. And he had injuries his senior year, Steve. Mm-hmm. He had back issues, hamstring issues. But that didn't matter. Right. And so... For me, that what taught me about being unselfish. Like that taught me to um, whatever goals that you want, whatever uh, dreams that you had, mm-hmm. it didn't matter right. at all. Like your goals and your dreams is it's obsolete. Right. It's about what am I doing to impact the next person, next person. And so when, when he when he did that, and I, I played with Lamar Landry, mm-hmm. he could have been a top ten pick going right. to his senior year. Stared a lot of millions of dollars in the in the face, but. Came back like mm-hmm. for what? Like what? Like honestly, you got to ask that person like, why are you doing this? Because he loved us so much. They loved us so much of being around that environment. Um, that taught me to be extremely unselfish, and that my goals and my dreams and my aspirations didn't really matter. What are your goals? Mm-hmm. What is that? What is that other person's dreams and aspirations? So when I when I saw that, and and, and it's numerous stories where guys where guys did that. Um, sacrifice certain things. Uh, when I got to LSU as a sophomore, I was an outside linebacker. Mm-hmm. And that's what I played, and I was uh before I got I got hurt my sophomore year, missed two games, but the whole way before I missed, you know, I was leading the team in tackles. And, you know, in Bo Pelini's defense, if you play outside linebacker in a weak side, you made a lot of plays. Mm-hmm. That was the way the defense was schemed up. Um, but they came to me towards the end of my sophomore year and said, "Look, we we need we need you as a defense to move move to inside linebacker." Now I looked at them kind of crazy. I'm like, "Wait a minute, we were number one in every statistic, mm-hmm. number one in total." Total points given, number one in uh, turnovers, I think number one in rush defense. We're the number one defense in the country. Why are you trying to make a move to inside linebacker? Mm. But I understood it, and I and I did it. My stats decreased, but that didn't matter at that particular point in time. It's mm. what everyone else needed. And so that taught me to be unselfish. And I just, I, for some reason, that, that, that carried me into my life, you know, when I got done playing. It's to be unselfish. It's special, man. It, it really is. And, and, and that's what I like about finishing on that story is that it actually provides a phenomenal example of how you can take an attribute that is utilized and optimized within the sports world and take that very same thing and use it in just about any other aspect of life. And it's, it's that ability to consider others, to be invested in others' goals, but then to say, hey, how can I facilitate that? Like, how, how can I elevate you in a way where we can ensure that not only am I succeeding, but you're succeeding, and hey, maybe we all succeed through that too. 
Um, awesome story. I'm so glad I, I gave you that opportunity to share it. But listen, brother, this, firstly, this has just been phenomenal. I'm so glad we got to do this. Secondly, before I let you go, if anyone's listened to this and they're moved to support everything that you're doing with the foundation, please give everyone the information that they need to do that. Yeah, so they can visit DairyBeckwithFoundation.org. Again, DairyBeckwithFoundation.org. Uh, they can get involved, whether it's through volunteer work. If they want to help, come help pass out the food um, to our appreciation initiatives, um, contact us uh, through that way. If they want to give and donate, they can go to the website as well. Obviously, we're doing a campaign this month from uh, March 6th to April 6th. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a 50, uh, 50K challenge where we're trying to raise $50,000 for this month. That's when the competitive side comes out. <laughs> it, it, it took me a little bit. Like, Let's go. <laughs> we, we, we're going to reach it. Um, so if they want to get involved that way, uh, DerrickBeckerFoundation.org. Follow us on all social media platforms. Mm-hmm. Instagram is DerrickBeckerFoundation. Uh, Twitter is DerrickBeckerFoundation. Um, so just follow us on social media um, and, and check us out. And I don't think if I mention Facebook, yeah, Facebook is Derek Beckett Foundation as well. And just track and, and follow what we're doing um, because we are making a grave impact. It's different. It's extremely different uh, because uh, we don't have our athletes in facilities training. We don't have our athletes at 707, which is all that stuff is good. You know, our athletes is sitting in, in meetings with business owners. Mm-hmm. Our athletes are learning how to interview for a job. Right. So it's, it's, it's different. Um, but different is, is good and different actually makes a difference. There you go. So different makes a difference. Yep. What a great message to end on. And normally I turn these around in about three or four weeks, but we are recording this on March 6th, which means the 50K challenge literally started today. And I am not going to let this, uh, episode go weeks until it's after April 6th. So I'm going to do you on here, man. And I'm going to. I'm going to get this out in the next five or six days so we can use this as a great platform for you to start going after that 50K. Um, so anybody listen to this, uh, you should be hearing this the week of around March 13th, 14th, which gives you at least a solid 20 days to support this awesome cause. So Dari, again, man, pleasure. I can't help. I can't wait, sorry, to continue to follow your story, but also just continue to be uh, an advocate and a support for you too in any way that I can. So I appreciate the time, brother, and thanks for coming on Man, thank you, Steve, man. I enjoyed it. Hey, don't go anywhere. I've got my final thoughts coming up from our guest today. So please take some time. Give it a moment. Take a drink. I got a couple more minutes. I need to get out of you some final thoughts. Here we go. My thanks again to Dari for joining us on the show today. And I'm just really thrilled that we could do this one in person because it allowed for a space where I felt as though Dari could really dive in to some fabulous insights that allow us to get a feel for why someone is not only willing to establish a why, but pursue it so relentlessly within the work that they do. And the way I want to really summarize my takeaway is by asking you the question, how are you establishing simplicity within your world? When you look at at some of the insights that Dari provided, you start to get this sense of when we put resistance and overwhelm and complications in front of us, we prevent ourselves from having a clear vision for what it is we can accomplish. And in my opinion, those resistances, that overwhelm, those complications, it, it comes from a lack of clarity in our why. The why just completely disperses all of those clouds. They just slowly disappear. 
you start to get this simplicity in your life where you understand the direction that you're heading. And please don't mistake me saying simplicity for easy. And I almost want to take that word back because I used it in the conversation in a way that may have come across as though I was indicating that by having a why, things get easy. I know the work that Dari does. There's nothing about the work that's easy. He is relentless. He is working hard. He is pushing every single day to have the impact that he's trying to have. So the work itself doesn't become easy in terms of the actual output, but the catalyst, the catalyst for the work, that's the easy part. That spark is so strong within when you have a clear sense of your why, that there is very little you are not willing to do to in order that you can actually get things across the finish line, bring ideas, bring intentions to fruition so that you can follow through with the impact that you are intending to make. So I love the way in which we were able to get that true sense of Dari's why and how it is we can all live more and walk more into our own whys within the work that we do as well. Before I let you go, please make sure you pledge support to the Diary Beckworth Foundation by heading to a link that I'm going to be putting here on the show notes, and it's donorbox.org. That's donor, D-O-N-O-R-B-O-X.org slash Diary-Beckwith dash foundation again that's a lot of information i don't expect you to write it down so instead of trying to write it down go to the show notes you're going to see everything there pledge anything that you can towards this awesome cause that is Darius foundation and it's going to go to such great use so please take the time to do that if you have anything that you can donate to this awesome cause but in the meantime again i'm so appreciative to have had this opportunity to have Darry come meet with me in person and do this in person so we can create a greater product for you and as we move forwards continue to subscribe to the show please leave a rating if you enjoyed this show i'd love for you to leave a five-star rating to indicate exactly that and also make sure you've taken the time to share the show with people this is fabulous content courtesy of the guests that i bring onto the show and these guests are my own clients they give me some great food for thought that i can actually then put into my coach's corner shorter episodes that i release between each episode of these interviews as well so if i've still got your attention as we hit 50 minutes on this episode go ahead and do all of those things make sure that you are a follower of what we're doing on this podcast and in the meantime keep doing you keep pushing your why and keep finding ways to make great things happen i look forward to doing this all with you again very soon and bye for now